Welcome to Attention Talk Radio, your ADHD information station where we help those with ADHD pay attention to attention. With your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Topper. Welcome, everybody, to this edition of Attention Talk Radio. I'm your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Copper. Our topic tonight, ADHD, fact, fiction, and true stories of study strategies. Everyone, uh, we're excited. Uh, we'd like to thank uh, children and adults uh, with Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, better known as CHAD, for bringing our show to you tonight. Um uh, as a part of, uh, of, of putting the show, we're going to offer you uh, two free copies of Attention Magazine in digital form. All you have to do is listen to uh, three shows and email us the secret word that we say in those three shows. Um, and the email address is attention at attentiontalkradio.com. We, get it, we will uh, send you a PDF copy of the current and the future magazine uh, for your review. Um, again, they're bringing the show to the for to you today. We've got a tip that we want to run, and then we'll get into the meat of things. Are you confused about all the treatments for ADHD? Consider working closely with healthcare providers and other ADHD professionals. Your treatment should be tailored to your unique needs to help you cope with the disorder, improve overall mental well-being, and manage social relationships. For tips, resources, and strategies, contact Chad at helpforadhd.org. Thank you, uh, Chad, for your support. Everyone who is not aware, Chad's the largest not-for-profit organization that advocates on behalf of those with ADHD. Uh, we encourage our listeners to become members. Uh, they're the ones that uh, help speak with one voice. They go to Capitol Hill. They go to regulatory agencies to kind of uh, uh, protect our interests as a community. So uh, for no other reason, become a member to support them financially. Uh, when you do, there's lots of member benefits. There's discounts uh, to their conference. There's uh, Attention Magazine, blogs, access expert, uh, National Resource Center, all kinds of things. So uh, let's get into tonight's show. Um, our, our topic tonight is uh, uh, ADHD fact, fiction, and true stories. Um, we have a special guest, um, uh, Daniel. We'll just uh, this was pre-recorded, so let's uh, let's roll the tape. We hope you enjoy it. Dr. Dan Porchek was born in 1951 in Queens County, New York. He attended Franklin and Marshall College and received his medical degree from the University of Pennsylvania. He then completed an internship in residency in primary care internal medicine at George Washington University, and then moved to San Diego to open a medical practice focusing on preventative health care. In 1992, he joined biotechnology industry in San Diego and spent the next 23 years designing and running clinical trials, mostly for the development of new agents to fight cancer. He retired in 2004 and now spends his time surfing, painting, playing blues, harmonic, and writing. Uh, most recently is, is in the process of writing a book called The Wild Ones that's going to be released in uh, December of 2018 um, on Amazon for those that are interested. And so with all that, Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Jeff. So I'd like to acknowledge Dan actually reached out to me. Um, we do this sometimes with some ideas for the show. And he told me about a story that he was writing this book, Part Fact, Part Fiction, um, about ADHD and his experience, and which is kind of funny because I think it was just you reached out to me and said, you know, you had been growing up in the kind of the 60s and, and used to be in a kind of a band. And later in life, some guys reached out to you, and it sparked the idea of uh, – 
of writing a book. And, and part of the stuff is I want to talk in this, in, in, in this interview a little bit about your own experience and what you learned by accident, hook or crook, that kind of got you through school and, and kind of through life. But I'm just interested. Can you share everybody about the, just the spark, the phone call, and putting a band back together that inspired the book? Yeah, it was uh, another one of the uh, modern Internet miracles. I, you know, I reconnected with a, a fellow that I knew in high school and hadn't heard from in 30 or 40 years, and and he's a musician. And and in one of his emails, he said, by the way, I hope you're not planning on getting the band back together. And what what he meant by that was growing up in the 60s, almost everybody wanted to be in some kind of a band once the Beatles crashed our shores. And uh, and I was in a band, and, and so I wrote back to him, and I said, you know, I – uh, you know, that's a strange thing to say. What do you mean by getting the band back together? He said, well, don't you know all your bandmates are dead? And I thought that was a kind of a, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, wow, that, that sounds like something like from a novel, but I couldn't really figure out what the story was. And and uh, and then after a few months of letting it percolate, I finally came up with the idea for the story, which was to sort of trace the adventures of this band through the 60s, which was quite an interesting time to be growing up in this country. It was a very tumultuous time. And uh, as I started to write about the, the four boys in the band, I mean, each one of us sort of had our cross to bear. Mine was ADHD. And, and, um, and you know, so I thought the more I wrote about it, the more I wrote, the more I realized, well, I'm, I might as well present my ADHD in, in sort of detail so that people reading this, you know, maybe can get some inspiration from it. And the reader sort of has to figure out, you know, while they're reading, okay, one of these guys survived and is telling the story, but which one is it? And so that's sort of the little gimmick that keeps the reader kind of hopefully reading. But uh, you know, and so I did include in the story quite a bit of information about, you know, growing up in the 60s in a time when ADHD didn't didn't even really exist. And so I didn't know what I had and no one knew what I had. And I think that was kind of interesting for me. And when did, when did you get diagnosed? So I, when I was about 45, I read uh, Driven to Distraction, which I think most people in the ADHD the community are familiar yep. with and I, I but I you know I I've searched my mind figuring you might answer ask me this question I have no idea how I got a hold of that book why I read it but I did get a hold of it and I read it and in that book there's a you know one of these checklists I think there was 48 or 50 questions and I answered about like you know 45 of them like yes and it became pretty <laughs> clear to me that what they were describing in that book was me and that was a revelation because when you don't know what you have, you know, I spent the first 45 years of my life trying to convince myself that I was just like everybody else. And then suddenly you find out, well, wait a minute, I'm, I'm not really just like everybody else. So then you sort of have to redefine everything. And it takes a little getting used to. And, and some of that is covered in the book. We've interviewed um, Dr. Hallowell, who co-authored that book with John Ray. We've actually interviewed John Ray before in the past. But uh, we actually did a book specifically with Dr. Hallowell on the notion of hope. Um, we did two shows, actually one with Dr. Barkley um, on is ADHD a gift and his, his issues. But he's very much a clinician and he's uh, not a clinician, student. he's a researcher and deals with averages and stuff like that. And But Dr. Barkley, I mean, I'm, Excuse me, Dr. Hollowell is very much a clinician. He talks of the role hope plays in uh, 
um, really kind of helping those with ADD. And I think his book was very helpful for a lot of people out there because when they read, they read it, people identified with it and gave them hope that they could do something. And a lot of our show tonight, I think, is really there is because back in the 60s, you were in a band, and interestingly enough, you're the guy that's still around, and you've been very, very successful. And so there's a lot of hope for people out there that, you know, you, you worked your way through this and figured out what would work for you along the way, um, which is kind of exciting uh, when you think about it. If I recall, before we got on the um, – before we decided to do this interview, you were talking about in your teenage years, you were really just kind of all over the place. Is that right? Oh, I was I was in a lot of trouble. <laughs> and um, – <laughs> And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because, yes, I mean, hope is important. And, and, and one of my main reasons for wanting people to have access to this book is, I mean, it is inspirational and it is meant to show that, you know, you don't, you know, you don't have to be cut from the same cookie cutter mold as everybody else to, to have a successful life. But, you know, there are some things you're going to have to deal with along the way. And that's sort of what I had to figure out. But, uh yeah, it, it, when my uh, my mom saved all my report cards, uh, and when and when she, and when my folks moved from New York down to Florida, to you know, in their later years, she, she you know we pulled them out, and every one of them going back to first grade said, you know, Danny needs more discipline. He needs better discipline, more consistent discipline. That was like the only thing you know they knew how to say. And the implication for my poor parents was that they were not doing their job and, and not doing it well enough. And that's, and that's why I was so difficult to control. But yeah, in, in, uh, in high school, you know, I, I got, you know, kicked out of school a couple of times and I had always had a couple of those red unsatisfactory citizenship marks on my report cards. I mean, it would be weird to see, you know, I'd get nineties and 95s in math and science and I'd get 65s and seventies and everything else. And there'd always be a few of these unsatisfactory citizenship grades sprinkled in on my report card. And, uh, you know, I'm sure it was pretty tough on my folks, but, you know, one of the interesting thing was growing up in the sixties, it was such a difficult time for any adolescents because there was so much friction in the country and things were changing so fast. The music, the culture, drug use, you know, the way people dressed, the way people acted. And it was just a tremendous amount of divisiveness regarding the Vietnam War. And, and I wanted a lot of that to come through in the book because I found that a lot of young people don't really know what happened during the 60s. I mean, they know some of the music, but they don't really know a lot of the other interesting political and cultural things that were going on. But uh, it was a particularly hard time for someone like me who didn't really have his feet planted firmly on the ground. And then all this other stuff was going on to distract me. It was a hard time. Yep. Yep. So over the years in coaching people with ADHD, it's been interesting to me is I, and this has really kind of come to me the last couple of years is that if I, if you watch people with ADHD, number one, anything they do, even procrastination, if you really under, if you look under, underneath it all and just observe what's going on, usually there's a legitimate reason why they're they're not doing what they're doing or they are doing what they're doing. And I found over the years, if they can let go of the belief system of what they're supposed to do, that intuitively, instinctively, they're going to take the path of least resistance and find things in their world that will help them. And I want to kind of just talk about one of those before we kind of go to break. You had described to me that somewhere along the way you found long-distance running. Can you tell us about how you found that, stumbled into it, and what that did for your life once you started running regularly? 
Well, I was too skinny to play football, <laughs> and so I don't really know where where I got the idea to run, except that, you know, back in those days, the Olympics was a pretty big deal, and we would watch these guys, and, you know, and, and there were always some great distance runners, and when you watch TV, it looks like they're going real slow in the beginning, and then they just speed up in the last lap, but in reality, that's not what happens. They're really going fast the whole time, but for whatever romantic reason, I decided to start running, and I found that, you know, I was in co- I was the kid who was constantly fidgeting, tapping my foot, and moving around, and, and uh, after I started, you know, <clears throat> after 10 miles of running, you know, you're not fidgeting much. You're pretty much, yep. you're pretty much tired, and you're holding still, and you're focused, and you've got all those great endorphins, so your whole mood's elevated, and uh, I found out that was, you know, really an important thing, and, uh you know, through high school, I did it some, uh, but in, you know, when I got to college, I really, and medical school, I really relied on running. I would go, you know, in medical school, we would go from eight to five in the le- in the classroom, and I would be just beside myself when I got out, and I would go straight, make a beeline straight for the track, and just ran, you know, I just run until I dropped, and then I'd go home, and I could sit down and study. <laughs> it's, it's crazy, I know, but that's what worked for me. It's interesting because uh, we've had Rob Tedisco on before. We did a, we, he's a great ADHD asset, and um, he, for many years, was running marathons to raise money for Chad, among other things. But as he describes, it, he was self-medicating with it. When he would run, he didn't – he, he could not take the stimulant medication, or he didn't have to take the stimulant medications as a lawyer um, in Manhattan. And we interviewed Dr. John Rady, who wrote, co-authored Driven to Distraction, but also wrote Spark, which is really – one of the chapters talks about the um, the advantages of exercise for those with ADHD. And, and in fact, I'm actually giving a presentation. I give a lot of presentations on ADHD exercise, and Dr. Rady said, you know, if they could put exercise in a pill, it would be the uh, ADHD drug of the century. So I think it's kind of interesting how once you stumbled onto it, you gravitated to it and really kind of self-medicated with it that actually helped you get through medical school, among other things. Um, I want, to, I want to talk about some other things that you and Sink have done, but before that, I want to kind of go to break. Uh, before we do that, your book, The Wild One, coming out December of 2018, let's say later in December 2018, it'll be actually out on Amazon. Now, this book is part fact and part fiction, right? You just want to tell us about it again real quick before we go to break? Sure, yeah. I mean, it, it you know, it is, this, it, it is autobiographical in that it is about – my experience and my and my bandmates and growing up in the in the sixties and uh and and it is purposely meant to be inspirational for people you know with a d h d and and I thought people might there's some humorous stuff in there, but there's some difficult stuff in there too and I thought it would be just an interesting read there I know there's all these self help books for people with a d h d but I don't know that there's much sort of fiction where the protagonist sort of has a d h d and and it's an important part of the book. It's, it's kind of cool. It's, it's kind of unique that's out there. So, all right, let's uh, we'll come back. We'll pick up on some more strategies that you instinctively picked up. But uh, with that, uh, let's go to our uh, commercial break. Really quickly, everybody, the secret word tonight is fact. Uh, again, the secret word is fact. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. You've tried logic. Johnny, just calm down and work. Then you can go out and play with your friends. Now get the help you really need to improve motivation, communication, and compliance for kids with ADHD. Join nationally recognized ADHD parent coach Cindy Goldrich and her team of experts at PTS Coaching. Take the first step. Sign up for parent workshops today at ptscoaching.com. Workshops offered in person, via the web, and as e-courses. Transform lives as a professionally trained ADHD coach at the ADD Coach Academy. 
ADHD coaching is in demand, a calling, and a career. Learn how you can change your lives by going to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. The average annual cost of attending college starts around $25,000. Students who have ADHD are at high risk of dropping out because they haven't learned the critical skills they need to succeed in school. Protect your investment with an Edge Foundation coach, specifically trained to help students with ADHD and executive function challenge make the transition from high school to college. Visit edgefoundation.org to learn more or call 206-632-9497 and use promo code EDGE to get your free college success guide. Make every moment count with Time Timer, a sensitive solution for ADHD time management. It shows how much time is left using a bright red disc that gets smaller as time passes. To place an order for a Time Timer, all you have to remember is timetimer.com. Managing ADHD is about pausing before you ponder and proceed. This opportunity to practice pausing is being brought to you by digcoaching.com. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back here. We're here with Dr. Dan Perchuk, and before the break, we were talking about uh, this uh, kind of neat new book that he's got coming out uh, December of 2018, uh, Part Back, Part Fiction, and really kind of talking about his life and um, instinctively how he found some things that really kind of helped him become very successful. Um, uh, Dan, if I recall correctly, I think this is really kind of fascinating. Another thing that you you stumbled across that was very uh, really kind of a big de- deal to you was for, uh, studying. You would like duck into like the chemistry building into like a, a room that there was there was no class that's kind of going on. You kind of take over, and if I recall, you'd use the whiteboards or the uh, the uh, blackboards to kind of put things up so you could visually interact and kind of study with it. Can you tell us about how you stumbled into that and how much that environment helps you study? So when I I got to college, and, and the school I went to actually uh, is a pretty rigorous academic school with a history of uh, known history of, s- of sending people to medical school. And, uh, you know, the first day I showed up, you know, the advisor said, you know, look at the guy on the left of you and the guy on the right of you. He's not going to be here at the end, you know, and I thought, and it kind of scared the hell out of me. So I knew I didn't have any any uh, much sort of academic. My academic skills were sort of lacking, and so uh, I uh, so I had to figure it out. And you know, I, and you know, it became very clear to me studying in the dorm was not going to be an option. It was just too much going on all the time. And then the library wasn't much better, and they had these study rooms. But and then the study rooms, like you know, guys were constantly doing pranks and doing silly, you know, there were distractions. So yep. I can't tell you how, but eventually I, I stumbled on the idea of, uh, you know, they left like the chemistry building open at night and I could go in and take over a whole classroom. There wasn't a soul around. It was after dinner, you know, and I turn on these bright glaring fluorescent lights and I'd spread all my stuff out on the, on the professor's desk. And um, one of the things I, I quickly learned is that, um, you know, when you're taking notes and, and you're scribbling, you know, you don't, you write, you don't even know what you're writing. You're just trying to capture everything. So I got in the habit of rewriting the notes from my, you know, my chemistry and my calculus class first year. And just the process of rewriting them neatly was really a good thing for me because I could see right away which parts made sense and then which parts I, I already didn't understand and, and so, uh, and just rewriting them helped me learn them. So I did that. And then it's interesting because uh, my study style was 
uh, I'm, I'm probably guessing typical of a lot of people with ADD. I, I mean, I couldn't go for hours at a time. So what I would do is I would study for, you know, 30 minutes and then I'd get up and walk around, but there was nothing to really distract me. There was no one there. <laughs> and so I would eventually, you know, after five minutes of walking around, I would just sit back down and study for another 30 minutes. And, you know, I would do that till midnight when they kicked me out. And, uh, and I did that like seven, seven days a week. And, and that worked for me. So, you know, it's, we, we did a show uh, one time years ago about uh, people understand what white noise is, but I introduced the concept of white experiences and white light. And I say that a white experience to me is, it's, is you're either in a situation where there's no movement or you're in a situation where there's a lot of people moving around, like an airport or really busy Starbucks. And for some people with ADHD, they need white noise. Just the hum of a fan or a vacuum cleaner or the TV on in the background kind of helps mute out distractions and they're able to focus. In an experience where there's lots of people moving around for whatever reason, it, can, it will cocoon people. I've actually coached executives to do their expense account um, in airports, like literally drive to the airport and do that because all that hustle and bustle enables them to focus a little bit more. We've also – the difference between very, very, very bright fluorescent, and I've also coached people before where they're, they turn all the lights off and all they have is a miner's hat, like a flashlight that you get at Walmart that sticks on your head so it's like a, whatever you're looking at, you can't see anything else and as a means to or, manage your attention. And I'm hearing that the bright lights – are there in, in the room that's a good environment. The other thing, too, I remember when I was getting my MBA, I had an accounting teacher who gave us a 5 by 7 index card and said, you, can, you can't you can type it. You can write anything you want on this card, and you can bring it with you. So it was a cheat sheet. And I remember it was interesting because I'm a little bit of a kinesthetic learner, as I would write and rewrite my notes to wither it all down to get it to that sheet of paper. It's pretty funny because I took it always with me to the test, but by the time I condensed like 30, 40 pages into this little index card. I already knew it at that point in time. It was the process of doing that. And then just the, the freeing yourself of distractions um, and not having anything to distract you to self-regulate really sounds like it propels you and helps you get through that stuff, which is just something that you stumbled in on uh, by accident, which is not necessarily where you think. You think you have to go to um, – uh, a library um, and to make that happen. Now, also, I have to say is when I was in college, I used to go to the geology building because it was around the corner. One of my roommates actually had a key to it, so we'd actually break into it and make that happen. But it's just interesting how you, you found that stuff, and it really, really has a lot of interesting characteristics that really work for you, which is great. Yeah, and I think looking back on it, I would say we were probably – I was probably hyper-focusing, which at the time, again, we didn't you – know, that term didn't exist. And I think, but I think it's important for for kids and and parents to understand that if you if there is something that captures your your child's attention and and can and that they really can do that focusing because you you can't you can't do st- study like that something that you're not really interested in you have to have a, you know an underlying interest in it and so if they if you find something like that for 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 a kid with ADHD then you know that's an important diagnostic tip that, okay, this is something they're interested in and that should be really, really encouraged. Of course, we're not talking about video games and, and other things that are meant to be, that are made to be addictive. But, you know, I think, you know, too often um, people don't pick up on the fact that, you know, if your kid's really interested and can hyper-focus on something, that's an important tip. Absolutely. Um, i tell you what, there's, there, you have some interesting things that we talked about around emotion and some stuff, and I want to I want to really get into that, but I don't want to stop and start. So let's go to our next commercial break. Um, really quickly, everybody, the secret word tonight is fact. 
Uh, again, the secret word is fact. Um, Dan's book, The Wild Ones, are coming out uh, on Amazon in December of 2010. Really quickly, everybody, the secret word tonight is fact. Uh, again, the secret word is fact. And with all that, we'll be right back to these messages. You're listening to Attention Talk Radio. We'll return in a moment. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Change your life by learning more about managing ADHD. Other places give you a few tips. The ADD Coach Academy will change your life. To find out more, go to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Make every moment count with Time Timer, a sensitive solution for ADHD time management. It shows how much time is left using a bright red disc that gets smaller as time passes. To place an order for a Time Timer, all you have to remember is timetimer.com. You can't go off to college with them, but we can. Visit edgefoundation.org to learn more how an edge coach can help your student reach their full potential. You can also call 206-632-9497 and use promo code EDGE and get a free college success guide. Could hiring an attention coach really help you move forward? (laughs) Does a child get wet when they dive into a swimming pool? You can get started moving forward today. Just call Dig Coaching Practice at 813-837-8084 and schedule a free consultation. Tell us you heard about us on Attention Talk Radio and get 50% off your discovery session. For more information, visit digcoaching.com. Don't delay, do it today. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Everyone, welcome back. We're here with Dr. Dan Pachuk, um, having a great conversation about his experience and some of the things that he's learned. And one of the things that's profound to me is that in getting ready for this, we talked about uh, we talked a lot about emo- emotions and impulsivity and ADHD. And, and I want to talk about that in more depth, but I want to kind of put something in front of it, and that is the notion, Dan, you, you, you talk about how when you're, uh, when you're down or, or you're withdrawn, a lot of times people try to bring them up by using words and stuff like that, but that doesn't really work for you. Touch is really something that kind of helps you bring you back emotionally. Can you just tell us about that a little bit and how you, come to, how you came to realize that? Well, uh, it's an interesting, uh, interesting concept. I mean, basically, what, what you said I think is true is that uh, you know one of the things I deal with in the book is that I think everybody's pretty familiar with the concept of the outgoing signal from the person with ADHD being not filtered very well. You know, we say and we do impulsive things, uh, but I don't think people realize, uh, or it's not as well appreciated, how much the incoming signal is also not well filtered. So. You know, I think kids especially uh, can wound very quickly and easily. I, I mean, if I if someone says something that I perceive as hurtful, I can go from happy to really kind of sad in, in, a, in a nanosecond, you know, in a flash, in a blink of an eye. And, yep. and that's not a good place to be because, you know, when that happens, we shut down emotionally and communication is shut down and we kind of withdraw and, and, you know, we're not very fun to be around. But and at that point, I'm not really receiving, you know, you can be talking to me and you can be saying all the right things. But once I've, once that I've impulsively gone to that shutdown mode, that hurt mode, uh, I'm not really receiving the verbal, the verbal stuff very well. But, you know, I found that, you know, uh, if you, you know, hold me, you know, rub my shoulders, rub my scalp. And, you know, I can just, this has just come about through the years with my own personal experiences 
uh, it relaxes me and opens me back up again pretty much more quickly. And and I think it's interesting. There have been I know a lot of studies done about how um, you know human touch uh, releases oxy, oxytocin and, and a variety of other hormones and, and neurotransmitters. So. Uh, you know, again, it's all it's all part of what we need to do to get our sort of slightly miswired brains functioning properly and, yep. and, and to the best advantage. Especially, I would say to parents, you know, if, if you're if you're having a little spat with your kid and they've gone into that dark place and they've kind of withdrawn, you know, don't keep telling them about all the stuff they did wrong and, and, and screwed up. You know, go over them, give them a hug, hold them rub their shoulders and, and, and you'll feel them actually start to relax, I think. And, and it's, uh, you know, after that, things will be much easier. Years ago, we did a show with Dr. Russell Barkley on his, his focus of ADHD is the issue of self-regulation, a challenge of self-regulation. And we did a live talking about how you have to regulate your attention, but emotions are something that you need to regulate. We've done lots of shows on the topic of it, fight, fight, or freeze, the down-regulation of emotions, how difficult it is. We did an interview with Autumn Zatani at Sesame Street, how season 43 was all about uh, self-regulation and emotional self-regulation, the process of down-regulating. But I think that's actually bringing a really good point because it's not just when you're in it, it's actually the signals that are coming into a child and that by listening to that, it can snap you in a nanosecond. And when, when you feel something hurtful, emotional that's coming to you, you go to that fight, flight, or freeze, and you can't even remember what to do in that, those moments. And if you're a parent um, and you're dealing with a kid and you're not really realizing this, you could actually be making the situation worse when you're trying to make it really better because they go to that place and it's difficult. Um, and I also think it's interesting, again, as an anecdote, sometimes maybe go over there and, and stop talking to them and hug them and give them a, a, that, that notion of, of feeling secure is a great way to bring them out of it. But the, the cool thing is, is from, from you, you're identifying is that emotional impulsivity is one of the least understood, but you say the most dangerous part of ADHD. Can you tell us more about your thoughts about that or how you came to realize that? Yeah, because, you know, again, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't have a, a diagnosis and I just knew that, I, you know, that it was very easy for me to go to this, you know, this kind of dark place, this wounded place where you're shut down and where you don't communicate well anymore and, and where your feelings are hurt. And and as you said, it happens. There's no there's no thought. It's completely unfiltered. You know, a signal comes in that you perceive as, as negative and and you just it's like a flipping a switch you just go to this other place and you know it, it affects us and and you know and I and I see you know it affected me in my in my relationship you know um, I got divorced after 24 years of marriage and and I can see now how how you know that kind of emotional reactivity was not really a great thing for me for me to have in a relationship and you know my daughter is uh, 32 she's got ADHD thanks to me <laughs> and uh and i can see and i can see in our relationship again how both of us will do this thing where you know we we wound easily and and then we go into a bad place it doesn't help us at all it really hurts so the people in your life that can make the biggest difference the people that can help you are the ones who are most likely to also you're most likely to feel wounded by things that they say and if your communication with them is shut down and your relationship with them is strained, it, it puts the person with ADHD out on an island by themselves, which is not a good place to be. Um, we don't have a lot of time left, but uh, I do want to circle back on something because you acknowledged about how computer games are designed to be addictive. And back in your 
day, if you will, that's those temptations weren't around, but you still realize that today that, in fact, computer games are designed to be addictive. And in my opinion, makes those with ADHD more vulnerable to that addictive behavior. We did a three-part show a couple, like a year and a half ago with Dr. Clifford Sussman on uh, screen addiction for those with ADHD. Um, from your perspective, your thoughts, it sounds like you're aware of this and would you agree it's probably harder for people with ADHD that are growing up today uh, with, with, with the advent of video games and social media to be able to witness themselves and see it because it's so addictive? Oh, I, I, I 100% agree. I mean, you know, I look at my, you know, I look at my daughter and, and uh, my girlfriend's uh, got three kids and, and, you know, these kids, their, their, their phone has become a permanent appendage and they can't do anything without constantly tapping out or texting or getting some receipt, you know, and it's very distracting. And, uh, you know, I can't imagine that would make things easier. Uh, as you said, growing up for me, the only thing we had was TV and no one really appreciated at the time that, uh, you know, that these people at the studios were being paid a lot of money to keep us coming back and, and tuning in every week to the newest episode of whatever show. But it became pretty apparent to me that it was much too easy to just plop yourself down and flick on the TV and channel surf. And before you know it, there went all your productive hours of the evening. So I, I don't have a TV, uh, and uh, it's probably one of the best decisions. You know, nobody can understand it. But, you know, you can get all your news now from the Internet. And, uh, in fact, I just wake up in the morning and tell Alexa to read me the news. And, uh, and, and I don't have it. Not having a TV, I just don't have that constant, you know, battle with, you know, between me and the TV. My time is my time, and I, use, and I choose to use it to write and play music and paint and do other things that I feel are, are more productive and better for me. Absolutely. It's kind of funny because I remember when I went to college, it was a choice. I actually didn't take a TV with me. It was a, it was an odd thing that I did. I reflect that one of the best decisions I, I ever made. The other thing was the first day of school in college. I got done with dinner. I'm sitting on the veranda, and I'd only had a couple syllabuses. I really didn't have anything to do, and it was a group of, like, brainiacs that were going to the library, and I thought, hmm, maybe I should go. I went. I was there for two hours. I, all I did is watch people get on and off the elevator, and I read my syllabus, but it was funny because uh, I actually established the habit when we go to the library, and I, I look back on that time. I don't know why I did it. Maybe God was looking over me, but I, I did it, and it was like, oh, my God, that was a really good decision because it established the habit. So anyway, um, before we wrap this up, any last thoughts or insights? Um, the book, I think, is really pretty cool because it is part fact, part fiction, so it uh, sounds like there's a lot to learn, but also a good read. It's coming out relatively soon. Any other, any other things to share before we close it out? No, I think it's great, and uh, it's been uh, very enjoyable talking. I've always had the desire to kind of give back to the ADHD community because, uh, you know, it's had such an important impact on my life. So um, thanks for allowing me to do this, Jeff. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. We appreciate it. Everyone, our secret word tonight is fact. Again, secret word is fact. And uh, we hope you've enjoyed uh, our show. And uh, catch us next week for another great edition of Attention Talk Radio. Take care. 